Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here at Lighthouse. Really good to see everyone here today. Hey, I did have a quick follow-up on the Vacation Bible School Renting a tent and providing food and all of the supplies, you know that takes thousands of dollars to pull off. Um, But we're able to do that because of the 10% that we set aside for outreach and missions. And it's because of your generosity that we're able to do that. So I just wanted to remind you that outreach is being fully funded by your 10%. So thank you guys so much for your generosity. Hey, I do have an announcement. We have a new staff member, Esther Horner. Where's Esther? Wave your hand back there. I think we have a picture of her. Esther has been interning for us for the last, I don't know, nine months or so, and uh, has kind of worked her way into a part-time staff position, um, helping out back with the tech team. So she's going to be helping out back there and and, uh, trying to support those volunteers. So I'm excited about that. So she starts actually, is it this week? You just started this week, right? Yeah, so that's exciting. All right, so uh, to start today's message, I have a question for you. Have you ever had someone say something so profound that it changed you, that it changed your way of thinking? So just hold on to that question. I did a a quick Google search for um, examples of powerful speeches, and some of these might come to your mind. Uh, President John F. Kennedy had a famous quote during his inauguration speech in, on January 20th, 1961. Um, so I have a quick video clip of that. Let's watch this. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. I wasn't quite alive yet when that happened, but that was a famous quote that really changed America during that time. It inspired children and youth and adults to value civic action and public service. Um, The speech challenged every American to contribute to, in some way, to the public good. I think we could use that speech again, don't you? I think we could use that speech again, but it really changed a generation. And this past week, I uh, listened to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. And if you haven't listened to that speech, you've only heard like little sound bites. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the full speech. But this was my favorite line from his speech. He said, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. And it was just a huge motivational speech. And it was said that this speech alone uh, played an important role in helping to pass the 1964 Civil Rights Act and the 1965 Voting Rights Act. So that speech really helped to reduce segregation and racism in our country. I mean, those words were powerful. So I have another one. Any uh, Notre Dame fans here? Nope, we don't have any. That's good. We'll just skip it. <laughs> Newt Rockne um, had a famous quote. See, George Gipp was a Notre Dame football player 
who had died from an illness uh, while on the team, and Newt Rockney was the, the coach at that time. But several years later, um, Notre Dame was losing to Army at halftime. So he said this in his famous halftime speech, let's win one for the Gipper. You guys heard that one? Um, but it actually, the team actually rallied behind him and, uh, and ended up winning that game, came from behind, played their hearts out, and won. Words are incredibly powerful, and they can motivate us, they can change us, um, they can mold our character. I grew up working construction, and my dad had a way of doing things that was a little different than my way of doing things. He liked to make sure that everything was square and level. I mean, everything had to be just perfect. And I'm the kind of person, when I was working in construction, um, I like to do it fast. All right, go ahead and silence that cell phone, whoever that was. <laughs> anyway, I like to do uh, whatever was quick, whatever was easy, you know, and get it done. And my dad had this saying, he said, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And uh, over time, he convinced me that if you do it right the first time, it's going to be better in the long run. You know, if it's square and level to start with, it's going to help you down the road when you're putting it all together. So I've learned that, and it impacted me. So in my life, I try to do things right. I try to do it right the first time. And uh, if you've ever worked for me, some of our employees are in here. They know I'm kind of a stickler. Let's do it right the first time. Um, sometimes to a fault. But anyway, so words are powerful. They can change us. They can change our way of thinking. They can inspire us to be a better version of ourselves. They can, they can challenge us, and they can impact an entire generation, right? Well, that's true in life, but that's also true in our spiritual walk as well, right? The words of God are incredibly powerful. And I would actually say the Word of God, right, is incredibly powerful. God recorded so many powerful words in this book, and they've changed me. And I would say, um, for many of us in this room today, the words in this book have changed you as well. They can be incredibly powerful. Well, today, I'm excited because we're starting a new message series on some incredibly powerful words in this book. We're going to be re uh, studying Jesus's first recorded speech, his first sermon. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And this sermon, we're going to study it all summer long, was incredibly powerful. It changed a religion. It changed a country. And I would even say that this sermon changed the world. If you want to go back and study the basics and the basis of Christianity, it's, it's laid out in those three chapters. Now, one thing I love about this sermon, though, as we study it, is you'll, you'll find out it's completely counterculture. Jesus would go on again and again, and he would say, hey, you, you've heard that it was said this, but I tell you this, and what he was preaching was very different than what the leaders of that time were preaching. And he would say, and so some people do it this way, but I think you should do it this way. And, and it was completely different than the religious leaders and how they acted during that time. And so it was a, 
a pretty uh, controversial speech, a pretty controversial sermon, um, but it really set a level, uh, an expectation for his followers to a certain standard of righteousness. And, uh, and he holds us to that standard of righteousness today as well. It's a high calling. So our summer message series is titled Counterculture, the sermon that changed everything. And, uh, and I'm super excited to jump into that. So we're going to be taking pieces of this sermon all summer long. So if you want to get kind of a head start, I would encourage you to go ahead and read chapters 5, 6, and 7 uh, a few times this next week, and uh, you'll be kind of up to speed as we move into it. All right, so we're going to start today, though, with Psalms. I'm sorry, with Psalms. I turned to Psalms, but we're not going to be in Psalms. In uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5, starting with verse 1, actually. Um, now, leading up to this sermon, Jesus has just begun his public ministry. So he's just getting started. And, uh, and he's healing the sick, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's becoming increasingly popular. And so there's crowds that are joining around him and following him at this time. So verses 3 through 12 that we're going to be reading today are known as the Beatitudes. Anyone heard that before? The Beatitudes is kind of a common phrase, but I had no idea what it meant. <laughs> I just had to look it up. It means supreme blessedness or a state of utmost bliss. Yeah, I know, it's just kind of strange, but, um, but that's what it means. So we're going to be reading through that. That's the blessed are section, but we'll start with verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So today's message is titled, it's based on the Beatitudes, it's titled, Blessed, Finding Favor with Our Heavenly Father. And I do think as we study just this first section of Scripture, we can find a few ways that we can be blessed by God. Uh, it's pretty clear in Scripture. There are ways that we can be blessed by God. So I'm going to give you a couple of things that you can fill in on your handout if you would like. But first, uh, let me pray, and you guys can join me in that. Father, we thank you for your words that are true. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to earth to to teach us in words, Father, and to teach us by example. So Lord, today I pray that we would learn from your scripture, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would personalize these words to each one of us, that you would speak loudly to us, Father, that we'd be able to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we, we pray, amen. All right, 
So a couple of things you can fill in on your handout. Hand we can be supremely blessed when we, number one, live like our big brother. When we live like our big brother. So growing up, I was the youngest of three boys. And so I just wanted to be like my big brothers, right? I mean, if you, were, you had older siblings, you might recognize that too. Um, when my brother got a stereo, we called them stereos back then. It was a record player. And uh, when he got a stereo, I wanted, I wanted one too. So I got a, a little mini record player. My first record was actually ABBA. It was, I, I don't even know. I don't remember any of it. But that was my first record. I think it was one that my brother didn't like. And he's like, Aaron, you can have this one. Anyway, so but I, wanted a, I wanted a record player. And then when my, my brother David got a BMX bike, they, those were really in style at one time, you know, a light one. He was riding on the trails and stuff. Man, I wanted a bike like that. <clears throat> Got to have a bike like that. And then uh, my brother Doug later on, he, he had a, a Maverick, a Ford Maverick that he painted flames on the side. And it was really, it looked like a fast car, but it had like a four-cylinder. It couldn't go fast at all. <laughs> but it looked cool. And I'm like, man, I just want a cool car. I want to... I just want a cool car. I just always wanted to be like my brothers. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus today, that means that you are a child of God. All right? And that means that you have, that we're all like brothers and sisters. But even more importantly, that means that Jesus is our big brother. Right? And so we should want to be like our big brother, Jesus, to act like him, to talk like him, to live like him. And not just because he's our big brother, but because we will be more blessed as well. Now, let me explain that. Let me explain that. So verses 3 through 9 share seven characteristics of a person who is blessed. You can put those up on the screen. Um, poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. And then verses 10 and 11 actually say that we can expect to be persecuted if we have these characteristics. We can expect to be persecuted when we strive for righteousness. But there are blessings associated with these seven characteristics. So the number seven all throughout scripture is known as the number of completion or the number of perfection. And so as I was studying this 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 week, there were some commentaries by some biblical scholars who, who said that they believe that these seven characteristics represent perfection, like the perfect character. And of course, we know that there was only one person who was perfect, right? And that was Jesus. And so Jesus, so I took a look at these seven characteristics uh, with Jesus in mind and walked through each of them because Jesus had all seven of these characteristics. First of all, poor in spirit. Um, there's a lot of definitions for this, but one of the definitions that I liked says that even though you may have wealth, you live as if you are poor. Being poor in spirit is this concept of um, not valuing wealth or things higher than other, higher than God and higher than people. Well, Jesus... I mean, Jesus had access to incredible wealth. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't go after it, but he had access to it. I mean, he could turn, what, five loaves into enough 
you know, food for 5,000. He could, he could make money. I mean, he, he said, oh, there's a coin in that fish's mouth. Just go catch it and pay our taxes. I mean, he had, he had access to that. But Jesus didn't have a home. I mean, he lived as a wanderer, as a homeless wanderer. So Jesus was poor in spirit. Uh, those who mourned, Jesus mourned with those who did mourn. Uh, he wasn't afraid to show emotion when Lazarus died, when Lazarus died, right? Um, in fact, when his cousin, John the Baptist, was killed, Jesus, Jesus went off by himself to a lonely place. That's all it says in Scripture, but you can believe he went off to mourn. You know, so Jesus understood, and he mourned, and he showed emotion. There was even a point in Scripture where he, he looked at Jerusalem, and he just mourned over the city because he knew that it was going to be destroyed in the future. So Jesus mourned. Meek means to be humble. Uh, Jesus was incredibly humble. He was God. He was the Son of God. And he never used that position to benefit him here on earth. I don't know about you, but I, if I was God, I would have a shirt that said, I am God, right? I mean, I would let people know. This, I, you know, and, but that's not the way he was. Jesus was incredibly humble. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this goes without saying. Jesus was perfect. He was righteous. He is our righteousness. He's the model of it. Jesus was merciful as well. The woman caught in adultery, he didn't condemn her. The woman who anointed his feet with oil and, and or with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, she was a woman that they said had lived a sinful life. And even Peter, I mean, Peter put his foot in his mouth how many times? I mean, over and over throughout Scripture, and he still kept Peter there and actually built his church based on Peter, restored Peter. Jesus had incredible mercy. Pure in heart. This has a lot to do with internal thoughts and motives. But again, as you, as you study the life of Jesus, I can't find anywhere where Jesus did something that benefited himself. I mean, he just constantly, his motives were always pure. They were always for other people, for the benefit of those around them. And then peacemaker. I thought about this because Jesus did cause a little bit of turmoil in the church, right? I mean, he did cause a little bit of uh, trouble there. But he befriended people who Jewish rabbis normally didn't befriend. Tax collectors, religious zealots, the rich, the poor, the sick, the educated, the uneducated, Samaritans and Gentiles alike. Jesus even elevated the role of women in that culture to a pretty high level. They were, they were part of his team. Jesus modeled being a peacemaker by accepting those around him. So these seven characteristics were all within the person of Jesus Christ. All seven of these characteristics have blessings associated with them. So if we want to be blessed, we need to be like our big bro, right? We need to be like Jesus. Now, there's, there's actually a Christianese word for that called sanctification. 
Uh, it's this word. I love the word. I always forget the word every time I want to say it. So I always have to make sure it's written down so I can remember it. Uh, but it's called sanctification. This is the definition. There, I found this one. I like it. It says, the continuing change worked by God in us, freeing us from sinful habits and forming in us Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus, who was perfect. So it's this refining process in each one of us towards perfection. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't, I haven't made it yet. It's this process that we go through in life to become more and more like Christ. And the nice thing about sanctification, in this process, there are blessings associated with it. Now, sanctification is not a requirement for salvation. We need to make sure that we get that right, okay? Salvation, which is your ticket into heaven, is a gift from God. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's a gift that's being held out there by Jesus' death on the cross, all right? We, we can't get cleaned up <laughs> to make it to heaven. None of us can. But we can all make it to heaven by simply receiving the gift of salvation. But once we've received the gift of salvation, we haven't attained the goal. All right? That's not the goal. The goal isn't to just make it into heaven by the skin of our teeth. That's not the goal. The goal, once we've received salvation, is to begin the process of sanctification. Philippians 2.12 says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This process to, of working out our salvation, it's, it's working from, from that place of salvation, that place of acceptance, that place of knowing that we're God's children and that we will make it to heaven one day, because of that place that we're in, then we should try to be more like Jesus. Jesus, God calls us to that. He calls us to that. So that's the sanctification process. And the nice thing about it is as we do that, we will be more blessed we will be more blessed. So I want to do what I want to do is a quick exercise. Put those seven characteristics back up on the screen. These are the seven characteristics of those who are blessed. And what I'd like you to do, you have this on your handout, is to write down which of these is the easiest for you. All right? The easiest for me is and write that down on your handout. Just take a minute. For me, they're all actually kind of hard. Um, but I would say hunger and thirst for righteousness is probably one that is easier for me than others because I, I do strive towards this. I don't attain it quite very often, but I strive for it. So write that down. And then the next one I want you to write down uh, is the one that's hardest for you. Just write that one down. Think about it. And if you don't have a handout, just think about which one is hardest for you? 
And I would, I'd say for me, probably the, as I was going through it this week, probably the pure in heart, because you guys don't know what goes on inside my head, right? And there's, there's an inner, I don't know what, of me anyway, that is always trying to figure out what's best for me. I don't know about you, but that's, that's not what Jesus did. And so that one, that one's probably my struggle, being pure in heart. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to uh, just close your eyes for a moment and be thinking about those two things, and I want to pray for you on those. So God, first of all, I want to pray for revelation, Lord, in, in just in this list within each of us. I pray that we would r- really realize what we're doing well in and those that we're struggling in, God. I pray for revelation, Lord. And then, God, secondly, I pray for transformation. In the area that we're weak in, Lord, the one that we struggle in, God, I pray for transformation. That a year from now or two years from now, that if we were looking at this same list, we wouldn't be able to say that that's our weakest one anymore because you're transforming us, God, to be more like your son, Jesus. And I know as we become more and more like your son, Jesus, not only will you bless us, God, but you will bless others through us. And that's ultimately your goal. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may want to just have that list in front of you. Just be praying to add it to your prayers, your daily prayers. All right, so that's uh, the first fill-in. We can be supremely blessed when we live like our big brother. Now, the second point's kind of short. Um, it's, it's kind of obvious, too, but it's a good reminder. We can be supremely blessed when we remember that there is a sequel. Remember that there is a sequel. This isn't a one-part movie, this life here on earth. Verses 10 through 12 say, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When we live like Jesus lived, we will be blessed by God, but we may not be blessed by man. All right? Jesus lived a perfect life. I mean, he modeled this life that we're all striving for, and they had a false um, trial against him. They condemned him falsely, and they crucified him illegally, and he committed no sin. So as we strive to be more like Jesus, we can expect there to be persecution. John 15, 18, and 20 says, If the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus said, if you, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. Now, he was saying this, by the way, to his disciples who were living the life. I mean, at the time, they were following 
you know, this, this wonderful uh, speaker and, and prophet, the Son of God, the Messiah, the upcoming Messiah, they were part of his inner circle. Things weren't going bad for them at the time. In fact, when they were hungry, right, he just, poof, and there was food. I mean, he just did this kind of stuff. He took care of his disciples. But when he, when he was saying this, he's saying, ah, you're going to be persecuted. It's going to happen. So hang on to this. Hang on to this. In that moment, when you will be persecuted, remember that this isn't the end. There's a sequel. Our life here on earth is a very short introductory to the rest of eternity. And the rest of eternity is going to be pretty good for those who follow Christ. And for those who don't follow Christ, it's going to be pretty bad. Right? But his disciples, he was telling them, hang on. In fact, why don't you rejoice when you're persecuted? Because when you, when you get abused and misused because of my name here on earth, man, it's going to be great in heaven. The, the rewards you're going to get one day are going to be fantastic. <coughs> I think that's true for us today. We live in America where it's pretty easy to be a Christian today. But if you study the end of this book, it, 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 life gets worse for Christians in the, in the last days. And I do think we're entering into the last days. I don't know when, if it will happen in our lifetime or not, but I do believe we're going to start to see a little bit of that persecution. It's not going to be quite so popular to be a Christian. And we're starting to see little hints of that now. And so in the same way Jesus was telling his disciples, hey, when you get persecuted in the future, because all of his disciples, they tried to kill them all, and they did end up killing most of them because of their faith. He said, rejoice, rejoice. So I'm, I'm saying that to you now. If in the future you get persecuted, made fun of, lose your job because of your faith, rejoice, rejoice that you were counted worthy to be persecuted for your faith, that people recognize that you were a follower of Jesus enough to persecute you. It's a good thing. It's a good thing because there will be blessings for you. So here's your last fill-in. Suffering for our faith today will pale in comparison to the re reward we will receive one day in heaven. And I know that we don't suffer much for our faith today. And I know that when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, they didn't quite get it, but they got it later. So hang on to this. File it away, because one day you might have to pull it out and remember, ah, I need to rejoice. I need to rejoice. So that was your second point. We can be supremely blessed when we remember that there is a sequel. I'm going to invite Rose to come on up here and close this in a time of prayer. So the, the thing that struck me was the sanctification process that we need to go through to become more like Jesus. Skip, will you put up the definition slide for sanctification? 
because it is a process. When we step into a relationship with Jesus, we don't instantly become like him. When my my kids, all of them have similarities to me. They have they do some of the things that I do. Some of you cringe at, you know, <laughs> but some of them are good. How many of you know that was a lifetime process? That they learned that from me, and they learned that from their dad. It was a process. Becoming more like Jesus is a process. It's a sanctification process. It's the continuing change worked by God in us, freeing us from sinful habits and forming us Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues. And something that the Lord was saying to me is that we need to surrender to the process. it can be hard sometimes he cuts off things in our life that need to be cut off there's pruning that needs to happen and that can be painful but there's blessing that comes from that right so we need to surrender to the process of becoming more like him So this morning, we are going to do a physical act of surrendering. And because I was asking the Lord, okay, what do we do with this? And he said, do a physical act of surrender, and that's kneeling. If you can kneel this morning, if you're not physically able to do that, that's fine. But if you can kneel, I would ask you to kneel as we pray just as an outward act of surrendering to the process. Jesus honors that. He really does. When we physically surrender to him. So if you're able to kneel, I ask you to do that. If not, if you're not able to kneel, just put your hands out. So Lord, we thank you for the process of sanctification to become more like you. It's an honor and a privilege to become more like you. Thank you for that, Lord. And God, I pray that as we go through the process, <laughs> the painful times and the exciting times, Lord, that we would recognize that you are in it with us. We are not doing this on our own, but you are in it with us. Thank you that we don't have to do it by ourselves.
thank you for being an example of being pure in heart, <laughs> of thirsting after righteousness, of being merciful, being peacemaker, mourning, all the things. Thank you for being the perfect example. And so, Lord, we choose this morning to become more like you and to not settle where we are. The Lord says, don't settle for where you are. You're not going to be blessed in settling where you are, but you will be blessed in continuing to surrender to the process and becoming more like him. So Lord, we choose to walk through the process with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So God, I pray a blessing over each person that has chosen to walk through the sanctification process with you, to become more like you. Lord, would you bless them? I know you see them and you know them where they're at. So Lord, this morning we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming out this morning. And have a good week. If you have any prayer requests, we have a prayer team available up here to pray for anything that you would like prayer for. Have a good week. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofvineyard.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.